athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Happy Father's Day weekend to all the fathers out there. Thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. It is a Father's Day weekend edition of the show. I am your host, Donald Ware. Listen, a little more than a week ago, I didn't think, I predicted that the Warriors would beat the Celtics in six games in the NBA Finals. And a week ago, it did not look that way. Going into game four, the Celtics were up two games to one, had pretty much, they didn't have, they had at that point had their way in the series. But I just thought that the Celtics were too big, a little bit too young, especially if you go back to game one. I just thought that the Warriors ran out of gas. But I think it was, again, it's, when you have a team that has that kind of experience, that is built the way that the Warriors are built and how they've been built. You go back to, you know, you, you look at Steph, you look at Clay, you look at Draymond, the core group going back to the early part of the 2010s when they first started to build this team and build this organization. And that is what the Warriors, what enabled the Warriors to kind of overcome and 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 win that they had to reach down deep to a younger and a bigger basketball team. Someone asked me, I think I think the series was tied at two games apiece, and I, it was a somebody I hadn't talked to in a while uh, via text, and they said, "Do I think that the Celtics will win the series?" I said, "I think the way that." the Celtics won't win the series is if the Celtics blow it. I just thought that the way, and again, it was two to two at that time. I just thought again, that the Celtics were just too big, uh, could have utilized uh, their size, energy, uh, certainly youth to be able to, uh, to get the series to, to take the series. But that just was not going to, to be the case as the Warriors were able to walk down the Celtics down two games to one going into game four last Thursday and ultimately coming back. I think this is a situation where overall in the series, I think the Warriors took it more from the Celtics then the Celtics let it slip away more. Now, that's not to say that the Celtics didn't have 
there are opportunities. I mean, if you look at each of these games, you even go back and look at game five where the Celtics had opportunities. Uh, uh, the, the thing was staying close with the Warriors in the third quarter, and the Celtics had been able to do that the last couple of games. Ultimately, it came down to fourth quarters. If you go back to game one, an explosion of a third quarter by the Warriors able to take control of the game. You go back to the 40 to 16 deal where the Celtics outscore the Warriors in game one. And it's sort of looked like that through the first three games or so that it may be sort of that kind of situation where the Celtics would just impose their will in the fourth quarter. But Steph Curry and, and now you remember last week, I did this big soliloquy about is would Steph Curry be a top 10 player all time if the Warriors won the series and Steph Curry was named MVP, which, I mean, he, he obviously was even, I mean, that game four was absolutely phenomenal. And really, I think game four was more demoralizing for the Celtics where Steph was able to put up the 43 points in that game. And then, he, he, of course, yeah, game five, he didn't have the greatest of games. He went like 0 for 9 from three-point range, but the rest of his guys picked him up. Uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins, you talk about a move in the offseason to get an Andrew Wiggins who had not played up to his full potential since being the overall number one draft pick several years ago uh, from Kansas to a guy that if if – if the Warriors don't have Wiggins, then they don't win the series. I mean, Wiggins was huge in game five. He had some big shots in the game on Thursday. He, But more importantly, his defense was excellent throughout the series. So if you don't have that guy, then if you, even if you look at the, 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 the future, or, or let, let me get back, let me put a bow on, Steph Curry first. So is do I change my tune? Because of course, you can always say, "Well, if he does it." And last week, it was it was it was fifty. I mean, it was at best fifty fifty, because we were tied at two games apiece last week. It was best fifty fifty at best whether the Warriors would ultimately win the championship. And now that it's happened, do I think with four rings? with a finals MVP, with two league MVPs, including a unanimous vote as MVP. Is Steph Curry now a top 10 player of all time? I made this argument last week, and and, and to me, you know, I can't even, and like I said last week, I, I can't even put Steph Curry ahead of Kevin Durant, who I don't believe is a top 10 player of all time. Guess what? I'm not going to have, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that next week. I'm going to tell you if my tune has changed as to whether Steph Curry is a top 10 player of all time. Today on the program, because I want to talk more about this series and uh, in particular game six played in Boston on Thursday. Today on the program, it's a Father's Day weekend edition of the show. Going to be joined by my father, Donald Ware, here on the show. We've done this maybe the last four or five years or so on the Father's Day weekend edition of the program. 
and he's a, a Howard grad. He is a Howard Hall of Famer, played football at Howard, had a uh, had a, a little bit of a stint uh, with the then Washington Redskins. And so um, I always look forward to the conversation and look forward to hearing you um, hear uh, about my father and uh, our conversation today on the program. So let me get back to, and that's coming up uh, 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 in the uh in the next segment, as a matter of fact. So let me get back to the Warriors. And and if you look at the future of the Warriors, I mean, you know, all of those guys, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the information about the contracts. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, Wiggins comes back next year. Think about it. James Weissman's going to be back next year. So now you're going to have, you know, it should be back. So you have a situation where you have a guy that's absolutely raw, uh, that's coming back for you. In addition to everybody else coming back, uh, Steph, Clay Clay should be much better next year. He he obviously coming off, you know, being out for two and a half years, coming off, you know, an ACL Achilles, and, and you know he should ultimately be back uh, as well. Um, boy, that's it's going to be a lethal situation. I mean, Boston's future still looks good. I mean, but to me, I mean, this thing is year to year. I, I would I think Golden State has a much better chance of repeating as champions than I believe the Celtics will even make it to the NBA Finals once again. I, I, you know, I look at that Western Conference, uh, you know, the, the Suns, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that, I don't know if the Suns can, can rise up, if you will, and, and, and sort of take that next step uh, to a, a NBA Finals as the Suns did on last year, not with the Warriors standing right there. If I look at, in the Eastern Conference, and I look at the Celtics, yes, yeah, still young. You know, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Marcus Smart, you know, still can get some things done, but Milwaukee's going to be there with Giannis. You know, Brooklyn's going to be back with Kevin Durant and 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 and, and Kyrie uh, and uh, presumably Ben Simmons as well, which was the missing piece this past year, that number three guy, whether it would have been James Harden or whether it should have been Ben Simmons uh, was the certainly the missing piece, I think, for Brooklyn. So I think it's going to be a lot tougher for the Celtics. When I look at game six, I mean, Marcus Smart, I, I'm going to tell you, like, I get the rotations. Like, you have, you have a rotation. Generally, uh, in the NBA, you have your you have your rotations and you generally stick with those rotations throughout the course of a of a game and i thought Ime Odoka the head coach for the Celtics I, listen Jalen Brown hit 3 of his first 4 shots and you know Jalen Brown was consistent Jason Tatum was just he just didn't have a good series at, overall at all you know Jalen Brown may have had a a game that wasn't great but his consistency, not only in this series, but throughout the playoffs, has been there. I thought that with Brown really stepping up, right? And, yeah, in the beginning, Tatum wasn't bad. I just thought you got to tweak. You can't do – sometimes you have to switch up, right? Like you can't do the same things all the time. And I thought that I get it and I get rotations and all of that and, 
coaches stick with rotations. I thought that if you have a guy like a, a, a Brown who was hot early, that you stick with him. They go with the rotations. Brown comes out. Tatum stays in. And it just sort of really went downhill from there. Now, the Celtics had a big third quarter, but Marcus Smart was in foul trouble. That was huge. Tatum in the first half also was in foul trouble. And the Celtics, you know, I thought the game may have been over early, down as much as 21-22 in the third, but closed the quarter out on a 16-4 run uh, before Curry just uh, came. Curry was just big time. I mean, give him all the credit in the world. He's a, a small college guy that went to Davidson and on the biggest stage, certainly excelled we'll have we'll talk more about the nba finals here on the program glad you joined us on this father's day weekend edition of the show i am your host donald Ware. up next gonna be talking to my father donald Ware. come on you watch the news be prepared to pay more taxes then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years get ready the IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you with the power to collect taxes by any means they want to. Hey, they can freeze your bank account, your passport, even padlock your business. <laughs> Good times. Look, if the IRS claims you owe them 5000 or more in back taxes and they're coming after you, don't panic. Call my friends at Get a Tax Lawyer first. Their job is to negotiate with the IRS and save you money. They're experts at it. That's all they do. And you can trust them. In some cases, they have reduced a $50,000 tax bill to less than $1,000. If you owe the IRS $5,000 or more in back taxes, call now for a free consultation. 800-450-1452. 800-450-1452. That's 800-450-1452. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Look in your eyes, and I see the reflection of me. My little guy, thank the Lord for blessing me with a seed. Before he died, my father taught these lessons to me. And before I die, I share the same lessons that he was stressing to me. It's in your blood, you won't be a thug, no matter the cost. Born a floss, and be the boss, that's how we was taught. I raised you in the law, straight from the hood where times are hard. But soon as the grind get hard, put your time in God, it's in our blood. Let's continue here on the program. It is Father's Day weekend, so you know what that means. And for the last, I don't know, four or five years or so, we've had my father on the program, Donald Ware, to talk with him a little bit about, you know, his career, his thoughts on certain things as 
Uh, it is Father's Day weekend here on the program. Dad, what's happening? Oh, how you doing? Uh, good. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. I think for, this is like the fifth year in a row, and I, I appreciate it and look for many more shows. Definitely. So I got to ask you, what do you think? You know, we're obviously big, uh, you know, Washington Commanders fans and so forth. I mean, how do you what? How do you think the team's going to look this year? Obviously, you add a big piece in a uh, in a Carson Wentz at quarterback. That's a hard question. I I, I, I really don't know, but I think that um, I don't think they would win their division, and I don't think they will, you know, go as a wild card. I, I think of the 17 games, they'll probably be eight and nine, around 500. Yeah, you know, but you know, you never have too much optimism about this team. Rightfully so. I mean, they don't give you a lot to have optimism about. Obviously, Terry Terry McLaurin's a big piece, the wide receiver. He's not signed. We'll see how the defense looked. That was a big question mark last year. How much did they upgrade? But I mean, you know, I mean, so I, I guess you think the Cowboys would win it, but do you think the 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 Commanders can finish above the Eagles? No. I think they have finished third. I think it would be Philadelphia winning the division and the Cowboys as a wild card team and then Washington. Yeah. So you don't you don't no no faith in in the in the, in the, in the Commanders. Not much I should say. Well, I figured, you know, if if they played 17 games, you know, I think they would be, you know, 8 and 9. Yeah. I I just don't see them being much more than uh, two and four in the division. Okay, is mainly be- I guess mainly because of the division. Yeah, you got to I guess you got to factor in, you know, the other opponents. Uh, you know, the Giants probably aren't going to be that good. Uh, you say two wins, so what is that? Two. So where where will where will those two wins in the division come against? Who will they come against? Well, two with the Giants, and one with Philadelphia. Okay, so you you're giving them three three in the division, three and five, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's I mean, but they, <laughs> I mean they haven't given you really a whole lot to cheer about. So no, yeah, go no, ahead. I wish I I wish I could say six and two, seven and one, even five and three, but I just, I just don't think they uh, have the uh, defense at the linebacking. Um, and the defensive backs. I think the defensive line, even though I don't think they played up to their potential the year before, but I think the defensive line will, will come around. But I just don't think they have the linebackers or the defensive secondary. You know, I like, but I like what Jamin Davis is saying because, and this is the thing that the linebacker, of course, they drafted out of Kentucky last year in the first round. He did he play well? Not necessarily, but sometimes. He did make big plays. The game slows down in his second year. You don't think he'll make a bit of a, you know, maybe a, a, a seriously progressive jump for this upcoming season? I don't know about a progressive jump, but I think that, um, you know, he will, you know, live up to his billings when he was at Kentucky. But, you know, they need two other linebackers. They really don't have a middle linebacker. And and uh, the secondary is the, the big problem because you, Washington can it can be third down and, and nine and they'll pick up twenty yards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
it's it's not a a shutdown third down defense. You know, they 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 can have third and four, and they pick up fifteen yards. They can never seem to get off the field, and then therefore in the fourth quarter, they're tired. Yeah. No, it's hard to hard to hard to argue with that. Father's Day weekend of the program, talking with my father Donald Ware here on the show. So you were an official uh, in the CIAA, that is for at football, that is uh, for yes. thirty-one years. Yes, from nineteen eighty-three to two thousand fourteen. Two thousand fourteen was my my last year on the field, and. Uh, and I enjoyed the 31 years that I, that I had, and, the, and certainly the last seven years I've been a neutral observer with the CIAA. Yeah. So it's been 38 years I, I spent with the CIAA. Do you miss it? Do you miss being on the field? I mean, do you miss being on the field? I miss being on the field. I don't miss the travel. You know, the, the travel, especially if you have to leave on a Friday and come back on a Sunday, you know, it's it's a lot of preparation and a lot of family time that you that you miss. Uh, I like, you know, the time we blow the whistle and play the game until we get off the field. But other than that, you know, you have to be uh, at the field, or at the school, two hours before kickoff, and that's that's a that's a lot of time away from the family and, and a lot of travel on the road. So I miss the actual officiating, but I don't miss the then the times in the locker room, you're sitting around not doing anything, and then the, the travel, and, and it's, it's a lot. It takes a lot to be a football official. It's not just going putting your uniform on and going out on the field and officiating the game. It's, it's a lot before that and a lot of travel, a lot of time away from the house. How do you – I mean, that's a long time to, to... – to do something, first of all, then to do it with the same organization for 31 years in the CIAA is a long time as well. I mean, how did you get into it? Well, I was I was um, <clears throat> playing touch football, a triple-A league in, in Virginia, and I really didn't like some of the calls that the back judge was making on me, pass interference. And I was trying to tell the official I was hitting the ball before I bumped up into the receiver. And um, he was saying that, you know, if you feel you know so much about officiating, why don't you try it? So I tried it. And I tried it with the um, the D.C. public school system, and I, I liked it. And then I had, um, I guess, six or seven years with them before I was eligible for college, which I applied to the CIAA, and I started there in 1983. And I, I liked it. I like, like I said, I like being on the field officiating the game because I think I, I knew the game pretty well. I certainly knew what pass interference was and was not. And so I just, um, and I stuck with it. I, I liked it. I liked the guys that um, on my team that I officiated with. I think that kept me going, knowing that I had a good crew and we did quite a few uh, Division Two playoff games and um, so you look forward to officiating well during the season so you your crew can be uh, summoned to to do the postseason and then you had some looks at the NFL correct yes I uh, 
I played, you know, certainly four years at Howard University, played a tight end, uh, not tight end, but uh, tight safety and uh, free safety. But but, and, I, uh, but I mean, well, what I mean is from the from a, an official standpoint, um, in terms of being an official, possibly having an opportunity to officiate in the NFL. Yes. Um, um, my last two years or so, I was I was scouted, you know, by the NFL and uh, Jerry Seaman, who was the supervisor of officials, sent me a letter saying that I was being considered for NFL official, and that could I come up to New York, and I did. Uh, they were lo- like located on Park Avenue in New York City, and I, and I went there, and there's two other guys uh, there also, and it was um, the three of us were trying to get two positions, and I wasn't selected. I wasn't selected, uh, I guess I was told that um, I needed to move up to Division One where the crowds are bigger and it's louder and so forth and so on because that's what you're going to run into, you know, with the uh, NFL. So, But I wasn't lucky enough to get into a Division One one school, so I just went back with the CIAA, and, and I was glad to, to have gone back with them. My father, Donald, we're joining us on the program on this Father's Day edition of the show. That's interesting because you you tried to get into some Division One. Uh, conferences with no success, which I find interesting because if the National Football League is scouting you, it should be a, a no-brainer that a Division One conference would uh, would welcome you to uh, be an official. Well, I, I tried to uh, get into the um, into the league with um, with the ACC with no luck. I, I wrote them and, and said that I would like to you know, move up and and so forth, and and I tried to get into the MEAC, which I had no no luck into getting up in, into their division. So after a, a couple of years, the the NFL will stop looking at you, and they stopped since I wasn't able to write them back and say that okay, I'm with the ACC, I'm with the Southeast Conference, I'm with the Pac-10, and so forth and so on. So they, you know, after a couple of you know, years of not hearing from me, you know, they they discontinued, um, you know, looking at me. Yeah, any, I mean, does that, has that ever been something you've thought about and said, man, I, I you know, it would have been nice to officiate in the NFL. I, I, I wished I could have officiated in the NFL. I regret not being able to. Any thoughts like that? Yes, because I think I would have made a you know pretty good official. Uh, I I know the game very well, um, uh, you know, having played in you know, high school and, and college and looking at it on TV and so forth and so on. I think I would have made a, a pretty good back judge. Uh, that's the position that I felt comfortable with because of playing free safety and, and tight safety. I knew basically the the routes, the, the tight end would would run. I knew the coverages and the zones and you know up and back and, and and so forth. So I think I would have made a pretty good official, but you know I, I, I wasn't able to to move up, and um, I I think I would have um, I wouldn't have been officiating now, of course, <laughs> but uh, I think that I would have made a pretty good um, back judge. Talking with my father Donald, we're here on the program Father's Day edition of the show. Let's step aside, 
take a break, come back with more of our conversation. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. And that's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I would say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for Black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all, and and be able to create history. It's just it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. <laughs> you get to it. Man, you know what? encouraging people to be better and do better and, and that's what i love man so thank you i appreciate you i'm talking about none other than common well i ended up in sam just because i wanted to major in business and sam you had the illustrious school of business then i found out that business was the key that's what i wanted to do nba all-star chris paul that was great to bring it back to one salem state university uh black college something that my city had never seen before may never see again and just having a up-close-and-personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Went to Salem State, where I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So. 
I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's From the Press Box to Press Row, real, relevant, radio. We're back here on the program. It's a Father's Day weekend edition of the show. Talking with my father, Donald Ware. We were talking about his time officiating for 31 years in the CIAA. Let's switch gears. We're going to talk about your time at Howard. Even even before that, we want to talk about the time uh, of growing up in, in D.C. Of course, you went to Cadoza High School and uh, you know, even before you were able to, to attend Howard, what, what were those days like, particularly from an athletic standpoint, growing up in D.C.? Well, certainly, um, you know, the D.C. recreation was very big back in the in the in the '60s, and uh, so it was a lot of competition throughout the, the the city, Northwest, Northeast, Southeast, you know, and Southwest. And um, you know, I, I thought I was a, pr- a pretty good, you know, athlete. Um, you know, playing in the uh, D.C. rec leagues. You know, I played, I didn't play basketball, but I played baseball and, and, and football. And I thought that was pretty good. And when I went on to Cadoza High School my freshman year, freshmen were not eligible to play uh, any any sports, you know. And uh, so my 10th grade, I, I played JV football. And, and, and then I think the last four games, they moved me up to the varsity, which I started in those last four games and did pretty well. So my junior and senior year, you know, was um, I had some experience going in, in into that. So it, it was it was pretty good. It, it was it was tough as a tenth grader playing against twelfth graders. You know, you were nervous and you didn't want to mess up and so forth and so on. Having given the opportunity to to play, but I, I think I held my own and it went on into some success both my junior and senior years. And of course that led to your to you ultimately attending Howard, but now you had a you know a couple of other offers uh, on the table as well. Yes, I had um uh, North Carolina Central came uh, to uh, my high school to tie me in the 40. I think my I think at that time I, my, the 40 was 4 points seven or something like that, which was, you know, pretty good, you know, at, you know, for, for that particular time. And, um, but I didn't hear from them and uh, I was trying to get a scholarship at Hampton, which that fell through. So I decided to, you know, just go into Howard, 
you know, I figured, well, okay, well, I'll just go on to Howard. But the, the next semester, I received an offer from Southern University down in Baton Rouge. It's a baseball scholarship. But I decided to stay at Howard because I started three games until my freshman year. So I figured, hey, that's, you know, I may as well just stay here. You know, I'm comfortable. The coaching staff has confidence in me. So I would just stay here for my you know, sophomore year. So that's why I, I didn't move on to Southern, and I, I didn't contact you know, North Carolina Central or Hampton you know, after that. Yeah, and it's interesting how you were able to, you know, even get on the field as a freshman. So, sort of uh, take us through that. Well, yeah, I, you know, um, my uh, freshman year, certainly I was on the bench, you know, first two games. And, and then I, I actually went to the, to the defensive back coach. I won't name the coach defensive back coach at that time and, and, and said to him, and I was just really mad and disgusted that, that I wasn't starting because I said to him that I was better than the, than, than the players on the field. So, you know, I guess at that practice he told the players that and we had this one-on-one drill and they were just actually killing me. I mean, it was really, really rough. But I hung in there and you know, held my own. Then I think we, our third game, we had a, a home game uh, with um, Delaware State. I was sitting on the bench again. You know, I wasn't sulking, but I was sitting on the bench. I knew I should have been in the game. But then the the linebacker couldn't check, check the backfield, the the defensive, the um, the running back out of the backfield. So they looked on the bench. They called me into the game to actually check that that back. And then I was able to intercept the pass, run 62 yards. They caught me. <laughs> and they caught me because I was so tired of the offensive guard. I can remember number 66. He was lifting me up and dumping me on my head, knocking me out the way. They were running the ball, and I was so beat up that when I intercepted the, the pass, that's the reason they caught me, <laughs> because I was slow, but because I was just beat up. And I started every defensive play from that freshman year on through my senior year I never I never came off the field yeah on the defense Donald Ware my father joins us here on the program is of course the Father's Day weekend edition of the show what do you I, I and we'll get to the senior year and and all of that what do you remember about that next I mean after I guess starting from the third game on in your freshman year, you must have had a whale of confidence coming into your sophomore year at Howard. Well, I did because I had a really good um, linebackers, and, and therefore I didn't have to worry about the run. I could concentrate on the, on the tight end. And, and the tight ends during that time weren't really fast like they are now. So I figured I can – Go, you know, go close to the line of scrimmage and run with the tight end. I figured if he caught a pass, I could catch him. You know, so I, I had a lot of confidence. I had, um, you know, good linebackers in front of me, so that makes it easier to check passes when you don't have to worry about the run. So, and I had good cornerbacks too. So if it was a sweep to either side, 
then I would sort of be the, the, the backup in case they, they broke through. But a lot of the times I just shot the gap and, and, and made the tackle because I, I, I knew it was a run. I knew the tight end had blocked down on the linebacker, and any time that happens, the linebacker will stay with the tight end if the linebacker, you know, if the tight end fakes a block and then goes out. So I had freedom to, to move around. So that a lot of my success was based on the the players around me. Wow. Let me ask. So you you talk about tight ends. I mean, I I would assume, you know, at that time maybe the the premier tight end in the in the uh, in the league, CIAA at that time had to be Raymond Chester, out of out of Morgan. Is that the case? Did you all did you ever play against him? No. Um, the. CIAA at that time had an a east and a west. They had about maybe 21 teams. So you didn't, even though a team might have been in your division, you didn't play them every year. But we had a, um, a schedule, a scrimmage with Morgan, and I knew about Chester. And I was looking forward to, to, to playing, um, playing against him because I understand that he was uh, all CIAA, and I thought I was, I thought I was pretty good. And checking passes, and uh, but for whatever reason, the the scrimmage fell through. It, it didn't materialize, and I was disappointed, you know, because I wanted to really show um, the Howard um, audience, you know, that I was I was really good. But it it, it never came about, and uh, I know Raymond went on with the Raiders and and so forth. Had a successful, you know. Uh, pro career. Yep. Donald Ware, my father, joining us here on the program. So what was that senior year like? Must have been a banner senior year. Of course, time you finished the all-time leader, CIAA history in terms of interceptions, obviously would be the all-time leader at Howard. Uh, but but what was that senior year like? Well, the, the senior year was um, was pretty good. I mean, I was the defensive captain. I called the defensive plays, you know, whatever it was, the pass coverages, the blitz for the linebackers, and 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 so forth. So it 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 made um, it easy for me because it was like a chess match. I could put the players where I wanted to be, and I freed myself up because I had a a pretty good um, safety playing with me. I won't mention his name, but that he covered for me. So I had freedom to, to go all over the field, which I was able to, you know, pick up quite a few interceptions, which I finished with 24, which was a record, you know, I don't know about CIAA record, but it was a record for Howard. And, um, you know, it made me, it made the game easy for me. The game came easy to me because I guess, you know, playing in the D.C. Recreation League and, Playing at Cardoza and so forth and so on, the, the game was the game was easy. And then, of course, ultimately, and we'll talk about life after Howard, uh, but specifically, even life after Howard in staying with Howard, you had a chance to be a defensive backs coach and uh, coach some 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 really top notch players. Yes. Um, I was I signed a free agent um, contract with the Washington Redskins, you know, on February the third, nineteen seventy, uh, you know, with Vince Lombardi and 
and Bobby Mitchell and, and Charlie Taylor and so forth and you know, went to a mini camp at uh, Georgetown and then up to Carlisle and then uh, got injured and came back to Howard. I had a, a half a year to finish, another semester. And the coach asked me to, you know, be the defensive back coach, which which I was glad to, to do because I, <laughs> the thing about it, I brought a lot of the past coverages that I learned up in uh, the Georgetown camp in Carlisle to to Howard. But I had some very good, very good um uh, players, I, I won't name them, but one, two, three, five of them are in the Howard Hall of Fame, and um, that that made it easier. We we led the league in in um, you know pass coverage, pass defense, interceptions, and and so forth. And I think that was attributed to uh, the fact that um, you know we had the plays, but we, I had very good players too, and uh, of course. Of five of them in in the Hall of Fame, that that speaks highly of uh, the talent that 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 I I had to work with. Talking to my father Donald Ware here on the program, a Father's Day edition of the show. We're gonna step aside, take a break, come back with more. We'll talk about uh, those Washington, then known as the Washington Redskins, in his time uh, with the organization uh, after this you've got it locked to the program Has your heater or air conditioner busted? Appliance broken? Computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trustpilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. ARW Home has warranty plans that cover your kitchen and laundry appliances, heating and air conditioning systems, electrical and plumbing systems, and much more. Call 800-941-2089 to customize your plan. Plus, ARW has partnered with Azurian to protect your new and used tablets, laptops, TVs, and other home tech from accidental damage and wear and tear. All plans come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Call 800-941-2089 for your free quote. That's 800-941-2089. Father's Day edition or weekend edition, I should say, of the program. Talking with my father, Donald Ware, here, who, of course, is a Howard grad, um, as a Howard Hall of Famer, uh, CIAA official for 31 years uh, as well. Also spent some time with the then Washington Redskins. Now, you know, on the other side of the break, we were talking about your coaching days at Howard. And, I mean, you, you mentioned five Howard Hall of Famers, a, a couple of which – all of them were very good, obviously, but a couple of which uh, had their opportunities also in the National Football League. Yes, uh, Bruce Williams was uh, uh, a safety, wore number 28, and he had a try with the Denver Broncos, and I think he made it to the, to the last, uh, last cut. 
and we had Greg Butler, who played um, with the L.A. Rams, wore number 23. And Haywood Corley, I don't know if he made it up to the, to the pro level or not, but he certainly is a Hall of Famer, along with John Fairfax, who's a Hall of Famer. And then we had Ron Mabra, who played with the Atlanta Falcons, and he played there for a number of years. So we, I had five uh, guys that I played with John Fairfax, and I played with uh, Ron Maber. Now, Bruce Williams and Greg Butler and Haywood Corley, I didn't play with them, but I coached them. So uh, they they were really good athletes. Um, I, I think of the of the five, I, I would think that Greg Butler was the fastest of them all, along with uh, Ron Maber. So it was a joy to because they were smart players. That's the thing they they had football sense, so it was easy to coach them. I just brought in the plays and and look back and and watch them perform. And you mentioned some again. A couple of them had their times um, with respective teams in the National Football League. We're talking about now um, the early seventies. You were uh, in camp, as you mentioned, uh, with the then Washington Redskins. What do you What do you remember most about that time? And I mean, you you had a you know you you got injured, but had a real opportunity to make that team. Well, I, I did. I think with the depth chart that, that they had, you know, the starters were Pat Fisher, Brig Owens, Mike Bass, and uh, Ricky Harris, and uh, and Ted Vactor was was there too, and he 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 was um, lined up behind Pat Fisher. Uh, my time was uh, I would line up behind uh, Mike Bass, but I got injured and. You know, certainly things changed. But the thing that I remembered most about the training camp is that all of the players, all 80 of them are very good. You know, they're really good. So it's, it's no easy uh, way to, 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 to make that team, you know, other than just having good football sense and being able to block and tackle and, you know, certainly um, catch the inter- interceptions. So... My time there was was was, was pretty good. Um, I, I was uh, very thankful to, to Bobby Mitchell, who scouted me uh, several times. He was a scout with the Washington team at, at that time, and I remember seeing him at the uh, Atlanta airport. We had played a game against Morehouse, and uh, we saw him in, in, at the airport, but I didn't know that he was down there scouting me <laughs> until I received a call uh, late January and after the NFL draft, and certainly I, I knew I wasn't drafted, and I got a call um, from from him uh, asking that would I like to come and uh, sign as a free agent with the Washington Redskins. So I went to the Redskins office and, and signed a professional contract on February the third, nineteen seventy, that that particular year. So I was very thankful to to Bobby for, for scouting me and, and certainly Vince Lombardi as a coach allowing me to be a part of his team. Did you think you may be drafted that year in 1970? I did. I thought I, I would be because it was um, – yeah, um, I, I thought I was one of the, the top safeties in the uh, CIAA, and I realized you, know, you have the, the Big Ten, the ACC, Atlantic Coast Conference, and – 
in, in Southeast Conference and so forth. But I, I thought I was a, a really good player. I think I could have played in those top college divisions. But, you know, I, maybe size, I, I don't know exactly why, but uh, but I thought I could have been a, been a good um been a good safety in the um, in the bigger conferences. Yeah, my father Donald, we're joining us here on the program Father's Day weekend edition of the show. So yeah, take us through the story about you know signing ultimately the the free agent contract with again the then Washington Redskins. How it all came, how that came about? Yes, when I received a call from uh, Bobby Mitchell in late January. Uh, to uh, come to the Redskins office, which was located at Connecticut Avenue and L Street Northwest on February the 3rd, which was a Monday, 9 o'clock. I was to come there to to talk to Coach Lombardi. So I uh, certainly went to the office, and I forgot they were on, I think, the third floor. So I went to the office, saw the receptionist, and said to her that uh, I was here for a a 9 o'clock appointment with Coach Lombardi. And uh, she, you know, she told me to you know sit down in the reception area, and uh, she called the coach, and uh, and I, I know that he answered the phone, and and she said, well, okay, well, I have him wait a couple of minutes. So she told me to wait a couple of minutes to coach a call back, and then the phone rang again, and then she said, you can go straight back, you know. So as I walked back past the receptionist, I could see his office, the door was closed, and it said Coach Lombardi. And as I walked toward his office, it seemed like I was uh, just lost my my uh, my grip on on the floor. I mean, it seemed like I was just, like I was floating on a, on a cloud. You know, I guess I was just so nervous. So as I approached the door, the door opened, <laughs> and uh, it was Charlie Taylor, had opened the door, and uh, then I saw Bobby Mitchell sitting at one of the guest chairs at uh, Coach Lombardi's uh, desk, and I saw Coach Lombardi. He was, you know, uh, looking at some some papers. So I I came in, and, and uh, Bobby motioned to the, the the empty chair next to him to, to you know sit down. So I did. So Lombardi finished, and uh, then he t- you know talked to me for a minute, saying, um, Yeah, well, we understand that. Um, that you, you know, that you're pretty good, you know, safety, and we wanted to you to come to our organization. And uh, but but he asked me, how did you feel about playing cornerback? And I said, oh gosh. And I really wasn't that fast or quick, in my opinion, to to play corner. But they wanted me to to play behind, you know, Mike Bass. And I told him, I said, yes, I and you know, I I love to. I, I certainly wasn't going to say no. I don't I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I said yes, and uh, then he asked me, Coach Lombardi asked me, you know, you know, we want to beat the Cowboys and Bob Hayes and so forth and so on. I'm glad he didn't ask me if I was checking Bob Hayes because I know he was super fast, and I saw him play when he was at the Florida A&M when they played uh, at uh, Tennessee State. But um, he asked me, uh, can what do you think you can check Charlie Taylor? And uh, then I thought a minute because Charlie was over at the coffee and he was, I guess, making coffee and the, the spoon was dinging on the on the cup, you know. And so I, 
and he was looking straight at me, and he was uh, like six three, two, two ten, big, and, uh, and I thought to myself, I can't blow this, I can't say to the coach, and in front of Bobby Mitchell, that um, no, I don't think I can check him, and that blows the whole confidence level that, that they were having me. So I thought about it for a minute, and then I looked up and I said, uh, no one can. And when I said that, you know, Lombardi pushed this uh, long legal blue paper in front of me. It was the NFL con- standard contract, which I uh, gladly signed for $12,500. <laughs> so and I, I guess that was sort of the 500 because the rookies at that, that year – the minimum they were making was twelve thousand. I guess the five hundred was for the fact that I'm DC and maybe I can draw some 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 folks into DC Stadium, which was uh, you know became RFK. So I, I signed the contract and and uh, and that was my um, venture to the to the Washington Redskins. Everybody has agents and representation these days. You had no no representation, no agent. No, I didn't. I didn't know about. <laughs> I didn't know about the agent. I, I wouldn't make enough to pay the agent. The agent, <laughs> you, you know, with twelve thousand, I would probably owe the agent money. <laughs> so, so I, I, I um, no, I, I figured that I was always pretty good in math and and and, and so forth. So I figured I could negotiate my own contract, which I didn't um, bother about trying to go negotiate. I wasn't going to say. That twelve thousand five hundred wasn't enough, you know. I mean, that that was the growing growing rate. I was I was a free agent. I know I was on a a small school, if you will. So I I just figured I would um, just uh, certainly accept that. I was uh, glad to to have signed the contract and glad to be a part of the Washington organization. Well, you know, this is fun. Each and every year we do it. Uh, I learn something new. Um, each time I do it, as I think you mentioned, the uh, fifth year that uh, we've done this. And so, again, my father, Donald Ware, joining us here on the program in this Father's Day weekend edition of the show. Appreciate the time. Happy Father's Day. And, uh, you know, look forward uh, to seeing you probably probably next weekend, I, I, I think. Yeah. Um, and certainly a happy Father's Day to you. Hope you enjoyed this Father's Day edition of the program with my father, Donald Ware. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. And we appreciate you listening to the program. However you may listen to the program each and every week. Want to give a a special shout out to our listeners in Austin, Texas on K-A-Z-I-F-M. And I appreciate uh, you guys listening each week and K-A-Z-I carrying the program. And always remember to support those that Support your box. Toro is producing. All I can remember was Lamar's class. Breathe, baby. One, one, two, two, three, three, four, four. I see the head. Doc busting through the door. He between the legs. He see the head. It's my baby boy. Boy, eleven forty-six. The head out. She screaming, making crazy noise. Pain is love. My stomach folding like a lazy boy. I'm feeling like Mariah Carey, all these butterflies Voices singing to me sound like Tina Marie I'm calling on tour, J-Hotel Spears I just cut the umbilical cord 
1157, a soldier is born, and he's flesh of my flesh, young Harlem Quran. I hope you grow up to become that everything you can be That's all I wanted for you young and like father, like son But in the end I hope you only turn out better than me I hope you know I love you young and like father, like son My little man, you think it's coming, coming You think it's coming, I tell you And when they come just keep it running, running Just keep it running